It's pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you need to be somewhat aggressive in what you do, but you can't be stupid about it. Sitting down with your tax guy or gal is rarely at the top of anyone's fun list. This year might be especially stressful with all of last year's big tax law changes. Will you be a tax winner or a tax loser? Hi, I'm Kendall Young with Diggs, and this is Love Your Diggs. Love it! A podcast featuring local businesses, people, and resources that can help you love your digs more. In today's episode, we're going to talk with Mark McNellis, Montrose CPA, local dad, and community volunteer. We covered a bunch of topics in our conversation relating to homeowners, investors, people who want to buy second homes, ADUs, even renters. There's a lot of information packed into just a few minutes. But first, let's take a moment to get into Diggs Marketing Report. The numbers for 2018 are finally in. Let's take a look at December of 2017 versus December of 2018. The number of homes sold was down by almost 27%, while the number of homes on the market available inventory was up by 14%. The month supply of inventory, that tells us how many homes, how many months it would take to sell all the homes that we have on the market if no new homes come on the market. The month supply of inventory was 51% increase, but that just means we went from a ridiculously low uh, one month's worth of inventory in December of 17 to only a slightly less ridiculous uh, month supply of inventory of one and a half for December 18. Here's the kicker. Everybody wants to know, did prices go up? And the answer is yes. For December uh, versus 17 versus 18, prices went up on a dollar per square foot average, almost 7%. Now, data geeks are going to say comparing one month to one month is not really very accurate or telling. So I went ahead and did this on quarter versus quarter, fourth quarter versus fourth quarter. So our number of homes sold still went down, but not as much. It was all 16.6%. The real shocker is that the inventory shot way up plus 30%. So there's 30% more homes for sale fourth quarter of uh, 18 versus fourth quarter of 17. Um, And the month supply of inventory went from 1.2 months worth of inventory to 1.9 months worth of inventory. Still solidly a seller's market, but still things are softening. And the price increase, the dollar per square foot increased 3%. So it's right in line with state values. They said that uh, state values went up about 4.2%. We went up anywhere from 3% to 7%, depending on how you slice the numbers, right? So the question on everyone's mind is, will the market crash? And if you listen to the news, you might feel some real fear and no one knows what the future will hold. And for some of you, it just doesn't matter. You got to live somewhere and renting just really doesn't make sense. But for others, you're just, you're not going to like my answer. In order to give you any advice, I'd have to know more about you and your individual goals. I hope that you'll feel comfortable coming to, coming in and talking to um, some 
talking to us here at Diggs, and we will we promise no sales bullshit. We're not going to try to slam you into a house. Let's just have some real talk about your goals and your values, and we'll give you the best advice that we can. Okay, that's it for the Diggs Marketing Minute. Now, let's get into our conversation with Mark McNellis and be prepared to listen to some of the best tax information that I've gotten in a long time. Hey there, everybody. This is Kendall with a new episode of Love Your Digs. And with me today, I'm very excited about this, is my own new personal tax accountant, Mark McNellis. Thank you so much for coming out to Digs. It was a long commute for you, wasn't it? Oh, yes. All of one mile. Actually, Not even half a mile. A block. Yeah. No, man. It's very, very <laughs> Lo- easy. Located right here in Montrose. And I wanted Mark to come and talk with us because we're all starting to get ready to file for our taxes in 2019. And we're filing them for the year in 2018. And this is the first year that most people are going to see the results of how the new tax laws are affecting them personally, right? That is correct. Yeah. And while Mark can't wave a magic wand and reverse any decisions that you didn't make or changes that you didn't make in 2018, (laughs) maybe he can help us to understand what will happen in this tax return and maybe give us some advice on things, changes that we might want to make for 2019 that will be reflected when we file taxes in 2020. That sound good? That does sound good. Okay, good. Now, if you're a stuffy bean counter, this won't work. I'm not a stuffy bean counter. I took my glasses off. Yeah, you did. And you did not come wearing a tie, so I appreciate that. I never come in a tie, you know? (laughs) I also appreciate it. People know that I have challenges with guys and ties. That's only when I need to. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay. So let's talk about tax changes. I want to talk, we're going to start off with talking about tax changes, how they affect homeowners. So what do you think people are going to be seeing in their tax returns this year? Well, it's an interesting thing. If the main impacts are going to be on new home buyers that acquired homes after January 1st of 2018. Okay, so you bought a house in 18. Right. What are they going to see? You you have a a smaller mortgage where you're allowed to deduct mortgage interest on and that is capped at $750,000. Okay. Now, the types of mortgage interests that are okay are still the acquisition loan HELOCs and home equity loans. As okay, you're long- going to have to speak English. Talk to me like I'm a, like I'm a kindergartner. Right. I, I, you know what? Uh, that's always an issue for <laughs> Acquisition us. Acquisition uh, loan. Does that I mean? mean when you buy the, the first original loan on okay. the house. Sorry about that. That's okay. And yeah. what's a HELOC? And a HELOCs are home equity loans. Okay. And you know, so if somebody bought a house and they got a, they got a regular loan and then maybe they got a smaller second loan. Right. Okay, we call those an 80-10-10 in case that's what your realtor called it. And those type of loans are still fully deductible Mm -hmm. up to the $750,000 threshold. You can also take what's called the home equity loan, which is if you have equity in your house Mm -hmm. and you're able to secure a loan on that equity from the lender, you can use and deduct that interest as long as it's used for home improvements. Okay. So if somebody owned a home, right? they get an equity line on it and they use that to remodel their kitchen, right? that interest is also something they could deduct. How the heck is the IRS going to know what I use that money for? 
You know, it's, it's an interesting thing because the 1098s, you know, which are the documents the lenders issue you with oh, okay. the interest yeah. and everything else on it now, basically state the nature of the loan. So if I lied out my butt. Yeah, you might, you know, you could get caught on it because. So I actually, so what you're saying is if I use the money to take a trip to Bali, don't post those pictures on the internet. Don't don't post the pictures on the internet and uh, (laughs) just hope and pray you don't get audited. Okay. Because if I will always say this, you're never in trouble till you get an audit. I see. You know, the, the bottom line is if your return goes through for three years without an audit, then you got lucky. Okay. But if you're audited, then you have to explain the positions you took on the tax return. And in that situation, if you use that to go to Bali, it's going to be pretty obvious in your documentation right, right. Okay. what you did. Okay. And you'll lose. Okay. So it's not just as easy as no one's going to know. Nah, not anymore. They're only good, but they will, but, but they will only know if you go through an audit. Scoundrels take note. Don't get caught. You know, it's uh, it's very important to, as I, I use a phrase a lot in my tax and accounting world, and it's pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you need to be somewhat aggressive in what you do, but you can't be stupid about it. So you know, I could be a pig, but I can't be a yeah, hog. Can't, you can be a pig, but you can't be a hog. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Somebody make a meme for me that uh, that on Instagram. That would be great. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, there's so, one other thing I want to add. Thing. Yes, you know, talk about it. You can. There's one other area where you can deduct home equity loan interest. What's that? And that is if you use the money for a business purpose. And what I mean by that is let's say you own a company and you're self-employed, it's a business, and you realize I need $50,000 in new equipment in my operations. If you use the money to buy the equipment that is used in your business, Mm -hmm. that interest is deductible as business interest expense. Mm. So you can transmute it from the home into the business. And so that is one thing you can do. That same also applies as if you took that loan, the equity from there, and you had to do a remodel on one of your rental properties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you use that, then you can move that interest onto the rental property schedule. Okay. You're starting to make my head hurt, but what I'm hearing is that if you if you want to borrow more than $750,000, if you have a really good tax accountant, they'll help you figure out how to do it and maximize your tax deductions. That's our job. <laughs> your job. It is your job. That it is, is our job. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious, and I know you wanted to get into something called alternative minimum tax, and, and, and I don't know what that is, so dying to know. But I am a little curious. If you are a renter, it has always been the wisdom that I as a real estate agent have propagated that, you know, you better buy a house because it's the only deduction you really get unless you're you know, a business owner. If you're a paycheck person, that's it. Do the new tax laws really change that, do you think? Possibly. Lessen the reason to be a homeowner? Possibly. I don't like that. Well, the, the reason I say that, it depends yeah. on the numbers, okay. you know, in situations. Most people in California, when they buy a home, 
have a significant mortgage and therefore they're going to generate a lot of interest expense Mm -hmm. and pretty high property taxes. So they will have enough to get over the new, what is called the itemized standard deduction, Mm -hmm. which is the amount every taxpayer gets no matter what. So for a single person, that's a $12,000 number. Mm -hmm. And for a married couple, it's Mm $24,000. So if you bought a home, you would need at least $24,000 of mortgage interest and property taxes for it to matter. Okay. okay, and most people will do that, yeah, even easily. with the tiniest condo. And even that. you know, unless your loan is one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or some small scale thing, you're going to get that still. Okay. So the point is, and I spent a lot of time saying little, little doubt, nothing, but that's the deal. <clears throat> okay, so just chunking it down sounds like if you're buying in this area. It really doesn't matter. No, it does from, not. From a tax perspective. Right. Because a lot of times when this happened, we were debating this in real estate circles. Oh my gosh, renters are not going to want to buy. But that's not the case here. No, it's okay. not going to change Still that. a good idea if you can afford to buy a house that it, it makes sense from a tax perspective. Yes. And uh, I always caveat that with saying is if you plan to stay in the house long enough, yeah. Because if you're going to flip it or short term it, you're taking the risks of the market. I, uh, hun- yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Speaking yeah, to the choir there. Yeah. So, you know, the point is. If you is, think you're going to be there for less than five years, you, you better it's really think about it. It's questionable yeah. whether to buy it or not. But if right. you're thinking long term, there is no doubt it's probably the best decision you can make. Okay. So let's talk about this alternative minimum tax that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. You know, what that. Ha- The new tax law gave us one really big favor. Most people in California who have a decent income, I mean, and I mean an income of more than $200,000, which is most dual working couples in our area and in, in, you know, the better parts of Los Angeles, et cetera, found themselves in what was called the alternative minimum tax. And what that is, and I'm trying to be avoid being too technical yeah, you here. You got to talk to me like I'm a kindergartner. So I'm you talking like it's a kindergartner. The alternative minimum tax is basically the government's way of saying that you know what? You got too many deductions on your return and we're going to subtract those deductions from your return dastardly and charge you pretty much a flat rate tax on the situation. Okay. The biggest deduction that was always subtracted was state income taxes and real personal property taxes. Well, since the real person, real ta- property taxes and state tax deduction is now limited to a measly $10,000, almost everybody is not in the alternative minimum tax anymore. So they're saving a lot of money by not being an AMT. So the loss of those deductions is not as bad as it seems, especially when we have lower overall tax rates across the board. So it sounds like what you're saying is that even though it sounds really bad that they're saying you can't deduct property tax anymore, it's not as bad as we thought. I'm just going to give you an example from from my own practice. You know, last year, my software ran an analysis where taking your 17 return and putting the 18 law into place. And I found nine out of 10 of my clients were at least equal or better than they were under the old law. So that says a lot. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. Know, so that's, right. that's just from what I've seen. You're, this, this is sounding more and more positive. It's sounding like people are going to be doing their taxes in eight, for 18 and not getting, you know, this horrible news that they're expecting. That's uh, yay. Yes, that's awesome. Okay, um, let's talk about um, ADUs. That's a really hot topic. ADUs are the accessory dwelling unit. And for those who don't know, uh, in California, there was a law that was passed that says that the cities have to allow the ability for a homeowner living in a neighborhood that just has single family dwellings, uh, they have to allow them to create a second dwelling unit um, on their property. It could be a converted garage. It could be a portion of the house that's been carved out and sectioned off. And in this case, you could have another kitchen, another bathroom, and it would be rentable, legally rentable. It's a big deal. There's, we're not going to get into whether you think we should do this or you should not. That's a whole nother kettle of fish. But what I'd like to talk to you about is does that affect somebody's taxes if you did what if you had one? Yes, it can. And the reason I say that is what is interesting about it is if you put a basically a second unit on your property and you rent it out mm-hmm. or you use it as your office or location for your business, you've now converted that property into either a rental unit mm-hmm. or a business purpose unit, mm-hmm. which allows you to take depreciation expense on the property, mm-hmm. take a portion of your insurance and all the other expenses related to it. But I think the best thing about it is all is let's say you have a $1 million mortgage. Right. And you're over and, that seven fifty, dollars And you're over that seven fifty, dollars So that's $250,000 that you can't ex- write off. You right? can't write off if it's just your house. Okay. And you have 20000 in property taxes. And let's just make this example easy that both properties are equal in size. So what you can do is take... 10,000 of the property taxes and move it on to the rental schedule mm-hmm. and whatever portion of the mortgage interest. So suddenly you just made 250,000 more of mortgage interest deductible right. along with the property taxes because you have this thing. And to boot, you got cash flow if it's a rental property and right. you can use that to help pay the mortgage. Again, we're not talking about whether or not it's okay to have rentals in a single family dwelling. I do not want any of your hate mail. <laughs> but let me ask you a question, because to me, the best use of an ADU is actually to help our extended family members. So uh, an adult child who needs to come be rehomed for a little while or a parent. You don't want to put them in an assisted living or a home, but you want to keep them there. Having an ADU allows you to care for family members in a way that we couldn't before and to maintain independence. Could we still like charge them some rent and say that this is a rental? Technically, under the law, you need to charge a fair market value of the rent. Okay. But fair market value of rent is in the eye of the beholder. Okay. So it can't be $1. It can't be $1, but it has to pass the smell test or... As I just said, pigs get fat, hogs get That's slaughtered. slaughtered. Okay. okay, so it's it's in that same vein there. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay, so that's something that really is a, a a benefit that I don't think any of us have talked about when it no. comes to ADUs. No, it's a very useful 
tool. Right. You know, and it's it just uh, to me, it's even. You know, like, I mean, like I said, for the working at home, a conference room, whatever else it is, because it's a separate, distinct property, it's not that easy to challenge because and it is. And so it also becomes, because home offices in the past have been called an absolute red flag. For, Absolutely. Right? And now you're saying that with an ADU, it's so incredibly clear that it's separate. Right. That it becomes less of a red flag, less of a, uh, a, a well, something that makes an audit happen. Yep. And this is also, it's, um, I always forget the name of the things, but the Airbnb situation. Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. Airbnb. Yes. Sorry. Uh, Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a, mo- a momentary brain fart. That's uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, we all have our senior moments, whether <laughs> yeah. we have gray hair or not. Yes. Um, okay. So cool. So let's more, let, let's change just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about Prop 60 and 90. That doesn't really relate to income tax necessarily. It's more about property tax. But I thought I'd ask you because so few people seem to know about this amazing thing. It is a beautiful thing. What Prop 6090 allows is if at least one of the homeowners is over 55 years of age, it allows you to sell your home. And if you buy a replacement property within two years, you know, of the date of the closing of that, you can roll your tax base, you know, for property taxes into the new home. If one to one thing is met, and that is the home that you acquire is equal or lesser in value to the property that you just sold. Now, if you can do that, it's wonderful. The state of California, it's usually a county to county thing. So if you're in L.A. County and you buy it, you're okay. But some counties have agreements between each other. And so what that means is maybe L.A. County is generally a lot higher than Riverside County. And Riverside does not participate. And Riverside does not, but San Bernardino does, and Ventura does, and Orange does, and, you know, all those other counties. So you might, if the... If you find one of the counties that does participate that has a lower value, it should be easy to do. Right. L, you know, it might. Well, this is this is this is perfect for someone who has a large, maybe two story house with a big lot and a pool and all these amenities that were great when their kids were little. Right. But now it's just them, two people rattling around in this great big house. And they want to downsize to something that allows them a simpler, more convenient lifestyle, maybe travel more. Agreed. Um, this is something that works really well. Um, so 60 to 90, it's, it's transferring your pro- your low current low property tax to a replacement home. Um, and there is a loophole, I don't know if you knew this, that allows you to buy above your sales price. You can do it uh, up to like a, you can get it up to 110% if it's in the second year. If you sell first. You sell first and uh, and then buy within the two years. If it's one year, it's 105%. So you get a little bit of a markup based on that situation. That's correct. Yeah. Just some of those fun things. I just wanted to bring that one up because I just, and I've actually did that one myself. I got 6090 on my last purchase. It was amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Let's see. Where are we on time? Okay. We're doing pretty good. I, I was wondering, 
Um, there's many of our listeners, they have a house, they're not ready to downsize, you do 6090. Um, their mortgage is well below 750. So none of this has really been interesting. But I am curious, what if someone wanted to buy like an investment property, or maybe a vacation home up in the mountains or in the desert? What can you say to us about doing that in the new tax environment? The new tax environment is similar to the old in that way of reference. What it means is you can deduct the mortgage interest on two homes. Okay. And But now instead of the million dollars under the old law, it's now a 750 combined, combined oh, great. threshold. Okay. So let's say you have 150000 left on your primary residence. That allows you 600000 on a big bear home or whatever you want it to do as a second home. Mm-hmm. Now, an investment property, which is a totally different, different kettle, ke- of ke- kettle of fish, right. which, you know, you just buy a property and that could be a third, fourth, fifth home. And you have mortgages on there. You might be able to deduct some of those mortgage interest, but it this is a, a little bit technical, so it's, I want to keep it. It's a lot harder to be kindergarten, it, like kindergarten on, this, on yeah. this one. But suffice it to say, I'll just use the term, you need to, you can only deduct interest to the level of investment income you have, which okay. is like interest in dividends, et cetera. So what so, if you buy something and it's a negative all the way around? You're losing money on it. You're, you're losing money. You're, it's basically, it's uh, my feeling on that, and it's beyond tax always, right. is it. If you're going to go buy a vacation home or a second home and use it five days a year, you're probably better off staying in a motel or using something else because it's a hell of a lot cheaper to you than right. the, getting the tax benefits you might potentially see. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it sounds to me, and I'm just kind of summing it up because those are, well, actually, before I do that, are there any questions I should have asked you that people should pay attention to? Well, uh I think we covered pretty much everything of importance. I'm just checking a couple of my comments here to see if I missed anything. I'm curious, are your clients freaking out or are people kind of like pretty chill about this? You know, I, I talked to a lot of my clients last year when they came in because I was prepping them for what I already knew. Okay. So the ones who listen, the ones who listen to me are probably reasonably comfortable with everything that's going on. Okay. You know, new clients and others, they don't know. And so there's a lot of education going on at this point. Right, right. I mean, I know I've heard a lot of fear and the fear has come from a place of just not knowing. Yeah, unfortunately, some of the things I said were not really talked about in any uh, media publications or anything else. And so as practitioners, we learn about it through our education class or just our own knowledge of what's going on. Right. So I saw it immediately, the, the alternative minimum tax issue, and I was happy right away when I saw that. So it's, but most people are not going to have that information readily available right. to them to right. understand that. Okay, great. Um, so if anybody wants to get a hold of you, what is the best way to get hold of you? And you're going into tax season. I am so. indeed going into tax season. <laughs> so are you going to go into a deep, dark cave and nobody can talk to you for a while? Or well, what's going on? I do come out and I respond to emails regularly okay. and I do take my phone calls, you know, okay. 
my with phone calls, I may not be able to take you at the moment, but I call, return my calls within 24 hours is okay. my, my philosophy there. So what is your phone number for those who are listening? Sure. My office phone number is 818-546-1094. And my email address is markm at mcnelliscpa.com. And let me spell that out because that's a mouthful. <laughs> it's M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-R-K-M-A-